Landaff Cathedral School, 1923 to 25, age seven through nine. The Bicycle and the Sweet Shop. When I was seven, my mother decided I should leave kindergarten and go to a proper boys' school. By good fortune, there existed a well-known preparatory school for boys about a mile from our house. It was called Landaff Cathedral School, and it stood right under the shadow of Landaff Cathedral. Like the cathedral, the school is still there and still flourishing. But here again, I can remember very little about the two years I attended Landaff Cathedral School, between the age of seven and nine. Only two moments remain clearly in my mind. The first lasted not more than five seconds, but I will never forget it. It was my first term and I was walking home alone across the village green after school when suddenly one of the senior 12-year-old boys came riding full speed down the road on his bicycle about 20 yards away from me. The road was on a hill and the boy was going down the slope and as he flashed by, he started backpedaling very quickly so that the freewheeling mechanism on his bike made a loud whirring sound. At the same time, he took his hands off the handlebars and folded them casually around his chest. I stopped dead and stared after him. How wonderful he was, how swift and brave and graceful in his long trousers with bicycle clips around them and his scarlet school cap at a jaunty angle on his head. One day, I told myself, one glorious day, I will have a bike like that and I will wear long trousers with bicycle clips and my school cap will sit jaunty on my head and I will go whizzing down the hill, pedaling backwards with no hands on the handlebars. I promise you that if somebody had caught me by the shoulder at that moment and said to me, what is your greatest wish in life, little boy? What is your absolute ambition to be a doctor, a fine musician, a painter, a writer, or the Lord Chancellor? I would have answered without hesitation that my only ambition, my hope, my longing was to have a bike like that and go whizzing down the hills with no hands on the handlebars. It would be fabulous. It made me tremble just to think about it. My second and only other memory of Landoff Cathedral School is extremely bizarre. It happened a little over a year later, when I was just nine. By then, I had some friends, and when I walked to school in the mornings, I would start out alone, but would pick up four boys, other boys of my own age along the way. After school was over, the same four boys and I would set out together across the village green and through the village itself, heading for home. On the way to school and on the way back, we always passed the sweet shop. No, we didn't. We never passed it. We always stopped. We lingered outside its sm rather small window, gazing in at the big glass jars full of bullseyes and old-fashioned humbugs and strawberry bonbons and glacier mints and acid drops and pear drops and lemon drops and all the rest of them. Each of us received six pence a week for pocket money, and whenever there was any money in our pockets, we would all troop in together to buy a penny worth of this or that. My own favorites were sherbet suckers and licorice bootlaces. One of the other boys, whose name was Thwaites, told me I should never eat licorice bootlaces. Thwaites' father, who was a doctor, had said they were made from rat's blood. The father had given his young son a lecture about licorice bootlaces when he had caught him eating one in bed. Every rat catcher in the country, the father had said, takes his rats to the licorice bootlace factory, and the manager pays tuppence for each rat. Many a rat catcher has become a millionaire by selling his dead rats to the factory. But how do they turn the rats into licorice? the young Thwaites had asked his father. They wait until they've got 10,000 rats, the father had answered. Then they dump them all into the huge shiny steel cauldron and boil them up for several hours. Two men stir the bubbling cauldron with the long poles, and in the end they have a thick, steaming rat stew. After that, a cruncher is lowered into the cauldron to crunch the bones, and what's left is a pulpy substance called rat mash. Yes, but how do they turn that into licorice bootlaces, Daddy? the young Thwaites had asked. 
and this question, according to Thwaites, had caused his father to pause and think for a few moments before he answered it. At last, he had said, the two men who were doing the stirring with the long poles now put on their Wellington boots and climbed into the cauldron and shoveled the hot rat mash out onto a concrete floor. Then they run a steam roller over it several times to flatten it out. What is left looks rather like a gigantic black pancake, and all they have to do after that is to wait for it to cool and to harden so they can cut it up into strips to make the bootlaces. Don't ever eat them, the father had said. If you do, you'll get rat-titus. What is rat-titus, Daddy? Young Thwaites had asked. All the rats and the rat-catchers catch are poisoned with rat-poison, the father had said. It's the rat-poison that gives you the rat-titus. <laughs>